Don't know how to follow a food truck party. But it's a joy always to be able to open up God's Word for us. God's Word forms us and changes us, and it so often happens, as I've, I feel like I've said a number of times, if you pay close attention as I preach, you'll hear how God has already woven the message of, of today's passage and today's message through the prayers of His people and through the song. And so He's speaking, and may we have ears to hear. This summer, uh, we have journeyed with God's people amid an uncertain, tumultuous time. As an independent nation, they were no more. This is beginning around 600 B.C., all the way down to the end of the recorded uh, Old Testament, 400 B.C. The Babylonians had conquered them. They had exiled a large portion of the people, and we have not yet come to the return. So at this point, the people are living in Babylon. They're their structure of their faith was destroyed. Their homeland was ravaged. Even the walls around Jerusalem were torn down. And the question on the lips of the people is, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And so we are asking ourselves on this journey, how do we hold firm to faith when the foundations of life seem to be shaking? When our world is turned upside down as as happens for each of us at different periods of time. When circumstances threaten our identity, whatever causes us to ask, where are you, God? We're asking that question, and, and again and again through his word, we see the answer, the Lord himself saying, I am still here. I am with you. I am drawing you to myself. I am with you to save. I am with you from, from all time eternity to draw you to myself, to work out my plans of salvation. I am working in ways that surpass anything you can fathom. I am with you. Even in the darkest day, in the lowest point, I am with you. And so we've heard this from Jeremiah. We've heard this from Ezekiel. We've heard this in Daniel. Today we turn the, our attention to the Psalms, specifically Psalm 119. And if you know anything about Psalm 119, you, you'll know I won't be preaching the whole of the psalm. It's the longest chapter in the scripture, and it is uh, it, the whole of which celebrates and exalts God's word. It's carefully and beautifully arranged. It's actually, if it, you may know this, but it's an acrostic poem put in 22 different sections. One stanza, eight verses for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And all the verses in each of those stanzas begin with that letter of the alphabet. And so one stanza this morning we'll focus on. It begins with the Hebrew letter Lamed, and that is verse 89. Verses 89 through 96. So I'll be reading from the ESV this morning as we uh, read God's word and give our attention to what he says to us. So if you're able this morning, I'd invite you to stand. Psalm 119, beginning with verse 89. Forever, O Lord, forever your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. 
Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, by your judgments, that word is, by your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commands are exceedingly broad. They're boundless, the NIV says. This is God's word to his people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. And Father, as, as I declare your goodness, as I declare your power, as I aim to bring clarity and, and, and preach, proclaim your word, Lord, I pray for strength. I pray that your spirit would be at work. And I pray for us, all of us, as we hear your word, as we seek to respond to your word, as we, uh, as we are shaped by your word, Lord, be merciful to us. Lord, we don't want to be people who stand on our own, on our own minds, on our own strength, but upon you and your word. You are a rock, Lord, so help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So when everything is changing, when nothing's going right, when we don't know which way is up, it's stabling It's stabilizing, and it's good to know what will not change. And what is that? I'll start with the question of who is that? Right? The Lord will not change. He will not go away. He does not change. And so let's here at the beginning remember and relish that truth that God is. That's who he said. That's his name. I am who I am. I, I am. I always will be. The Lord is love. He is the way through it all, through whatever we're walking through. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He always was. He always will be. The Lord doesn't change. But how can we, as flesh and blood, as creatures, connect with the eternal God? For the people of this age who wrote this psalm, as they asked that question, the answer increasingly became through through the Word of God. They learned in their time of exile, they pressed into faith, even when so many other structures were taken away or destroyed, they pressed into their faith increasingly through His Word. This is a time when so much of the Word was... uh, it was still being written, inspired by the Spirit, but so much of it was copied and, and written down and preserved. And for us, too, one way that our temporal, finite lives interact with the eternal God, one way that we keep a firm foundation in our lives, we keep clear identity of who we are, is through the gift of His Word. Amen. Psalm 89 says, forever. O Lord, is your word forever. It is fixed in the heavens. And he has given us uh, this word as an anchor to reality. 
and as a path to his presence, to knowing him, an anchor for our reality, a path to his presence. And through this word, he speaks, I am still here. I am with you. As we read on through the New Testament, we see Jesus, our Lord, as a man, relying and trusting the word. Debating with his opponents in John chapter 10, he, he affirms scripture cannot be set aside. May we not be those who set aside scripture. The word is unchanging. It's irrevocable. And then later on in Matthew 24, Jesus, as God's son, he goes on to affirm, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My words will not uh, fade away. They will not pass away. And so this word was breathed out and inspired by God, written by people as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Peter tells us in his letter. It is the same word that's preserved through the centuries by the same Spirit. And we believe, I'll just say this at the beginning, this applies to the whole of the Scripture, from, from Genesis to Revelation, the Old and the New Covenants, the Law, the Prophets, the Wisdom Literature, the Gospels, the Letters. So here's my question for us. Forever is this word. It's, the, it's, it's our foundation. Do we receive and relish God's word as an anchor to our reality and as a foundation for our identity and our faith? Do we receive it in that way as an anchor, as a foundation? And to whatever extent we're able to answer that question, it relates to this idea, this perspective how do we approach the word? As we come to read, as we come to hear, as we bring ourselves before God's word, how do we approach the word? Note, I didn't say how do you use the word or how do you interact with the word, but how do you approach? What's your perspective on God's word as you come to it? What do you believe about the word as you come to read or hear? What is your perspective on the scripture? How do you approach the word? Because our perspective can be misguided. For some, and coming from a position not of faith, maybe it's just a paperweight or an ornament on a shelf or a desk. And let me encourage you, I know most of us, for most of us, this is not the truth. It's, but if it's a paperweight or an ornament for you, let me encourage you to have the word part of your life more and more. It's more than that. Maybe the scripture is an intimidating ancient document. It's more than that, a primary source to be studied or a collection of wise sayings or teachings. It's more than that. Is it something like a philosophy book? No, it's more than that. And even from a place of faith, even if you can say, yes, the word is breathed out, inspired by God, from God himself, our perspective can be misguided. I know that I am guilty far too often of approaching the word too casually or with too much pride, or too much familiarity. Thinking in my own mind, well, I know this word. I've studied this word. I overhear the word described as a tool in our hands, like a, a guidebook, or an instruction manual, or, or a resource for decision-making, or like a handy pick-me-up. You know, it's like your, it's your five-minute pick-me-up every day in your hands. And I would argue that while some of those things may have grains of 
truth in them. The, those options either lack depth or lack understanding or are simply just too small for what the Word truly is. I'd like to make the case today that our approach to the Word is either too limited or too distant. So far, so often, our approach to God's Word is too limited or too distant. But by God's design, He, he w- invites us to come to His Word that is more cosmic and more personal than we can comprehend. It's both more cosmic, bigger, and closer than we can comprehend. It's God's chosen means to reveal who He is. It's the record and the inspired record of how He acts and the primary means that He draws us to Himself. And so when I ask, how do you approach the Word An answer that's faithful to what God himself says in the word will put us in a position of surrender and humility. Not as those in control or authority. So I want to ask you again, how do you approach the word? The word shapes us, we don't shape it. Do you come to the word as if you are in charge or that it's in charge of you? by God's uh, design, by God's Spirit. The Word shapes us. We approach the Word as clay, as dough, willing, open, malleable. And so Psalm 119 helps to develop this perspective, this approach in us. It's godly and faithful approach. And those, these verses that I read are, are representative of the whole. T- to exalt the power and the scope of God's Word for us and to teach us and invite us how to approach God's Word personally because it's bigger and it's closer than we usually comprehend. So let's start with the the grand scope of God's Word. In verses 89 through 91, it says that the eternal Word establishes the cosmos. The beginning of of this psalm, the eternal Word establishes the cosmos. The cosmos. What does that mean? Verse 91 starts by saying, all things serve you. All things. God accomplishes all things by his word. And so let's begin not by thinking of the word as paper and ink, but the presence and power of God. So it's by his word that he creates. It's by his word. Genesis 1 says, the Lord says, let there be light. And there was light. By his word he creates. He speaks and brings forth what is out of what was not. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. This is a big word. All things serve him. And so it begins to make sense why the author in Psalm 119 says, Forever, Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures through all generations. You established the earth By your appointment, they stand this day. They stand for this day. What's that? They stand for this day. It's the heavens and the earth. All the universe serves the Lord and continues at His command by His determination. They stand to this day because of His word. So why is the sun faithful in its light and heat? Why is the earth predictable and fixed in its orbit and its rotation? Why do we have night 
and, and day and summer and winter, right? Scientific inquiry can tell us how or begin to show us how, but why? Why? Because all things serve the Lord, and he's decided it to be this way, and he's spoken it into being. The word is bigger than we usually give it credit for. And, and also, the universe continues at his command. It's sustained continually by the word. How do we, human beings, become living beings who image forth our creator? Genesis 2 says, the breath of life. It's by the breath of God, the same spirit who hovered over the waters at creation, speaks life into human beings, and we're alive, and we're made in his image. And unless we think this is only found in the Father, this cosmic size of the word who lives in unapproachable light, or only in the Spirit who gives life. Hebrews 1.3 teaches us that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Do you remember that? Hebrews 1.3. No wonder Jesus can heal at a command. He upholds all things by His Word. He sustains all things by his command. No wonder he can tell the dead to rise and they get up. No wonder he can tell the demons to flee and they obey. It's because this word is cosmic in power. This, this word is bigger than we typically comprehend. No wonder Jesus speaks to his father, followers with all authority in heaven on earth. And he says, go and make disciples of the ends of the age. And what's been happening for thousands of years as the kingdom is spreading and more and more throughout the generations and throughout the earth are coming to faith in Christ Jesus. This same God has given us the scripture. Through the word, we read the Lord Almighty says, the Spirit says, the Son says. This is the scripture that we read. It's more than ink. It's more than paper. And so the stanza ends, I have seen a limit to all things that are completed, to all perfection, but your commands are boundless. Your commands are exceedingly broad. They have no limit. There is no comparison. Nothing restricts you, God. You can do all things. And God chooses to do it through his word, which he speaks. How faithful is our God? How immovable and eternal and powerful his, is his word? And the question remains, how do you approach the word? As you, come, as you open the scripture, as you ready your heart to hear the word, as you, as you read God's word, as you listen to God's word, isn't it bigger and weightier than we give it credit for? And so what does this mean for us? How do, how do we apply this? And two applications for those who trust the Lord and who love the Lord and want to secure their identity in him. And that is tremble and trust. Tremble and trust. We tremble at God's word. That's, that's from Isaiah 66 too. It says, these are the ones I look upon with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. We don't approach the word as those in control with pride. We approach with humility and repentance for our sin, and we tremble at his word. 
In the context, this is a word of prophecy and a call to repentance for those in exile. But at the heart, the call endures. Are we responsive to His authority? When we read a command of Scripture, are we responsive? Do we, does our, is our heart willing to change because of His authority, because of His Word? Are we willing to be shaped or do we want to be in control? Do we approach with reverence and awe or are those who are fault-finding and critical? I was an English teacher for so many years and I, and I was trained to like try to look for every you know, comma and every misplaced grammar and misspelled word and editing everything I read. But may I not approach the word that way as if I can edit, as if I can change, as if I can rearrange. May we be inquisitive, yes. Curious, yes. Seeking truth, of course. When we don't understand, pressing in. Even skeptical, with integrity, if that's where we are. But we are not the master. That's that's the emphasis. That's the key. The approach that honors the word and the one who gives the word is one of reverence and awe. Do we tremble at God's word? And secondly, we, we trust If God establishes all matter and all life, if He sustains all things through His Word, when He he chooses to reveal truth to us, and who are we? Clay, right? We're clay. When He chooses by the same uh, Spirit to reveal truth by His Word, will we listen? Knowing what we know about God's Word, will He trust what He says to us in it? We can't pick and choose what to obey. We can't as if God's will and ways are outdated or as if we collectively can do better. We can't pick and choose. That that puts us in charge, but the Scripture doesn't get surpassed. I know there's a lot that's hard to understand. These are different messages, right? It is given in context of time and place and antiquity. There is there's study that needs to be done. There's the mystery of the eternal God interacting with human flesh and speaking through fallible authors. I understand all that. But are we trembling at his word and are we trusting that he has revealed and preserved it and trusting unto obedience? Because as we seek to understand the word as God intended it, as we do that hard work, the approach remains, I trust you, Lord, that you're speaking today by your spirit through this word that has been revealed, I trust that you know what is right and good and best, and I will show my trust in my obedience. So let's not limit the word. That's the first point. Let's not limit the word by climbing up on top of it and and putting ourselves in judgment over the word. Let's not limit it by making it too small and placing ourselves above it. We tremble, we trust, we submit, and say, Lord, your word is forever. Your word has authority. Your word establishes the cosmos. And if this is the case, therefore, because all these things are true about the word, it certainly also renews us as God's people. The word is not only bigger and more cosmic in scope than we comprehend. I also want to say the word, and I'm saying this hopefully from Psalm 119, the word is closer than we typically imagine. It's personal. 
It works in us personally to renew, to revive, restore. It doesn't stay at a distance. It's not meant to be set up and left alone or put on a monument and looked at alone. And so how is the word personal? Not through the page itself, right? It's the word directs us to the one who speaks. The word draws us near to God. And so may we never revere or worship the word itself, but the one who has given it. Because he is the one who draws close. This is how we are renewed. This is how we receive life from the word. By, because it's a passage, it's a pathway to the one who has given the word. Jesus teaches us this in his warning. There were skeptical leaders of his day. Those who had received over uh, 400 to 500 years this reverence for the word and yet have swung too far now. In, in, this is in the Gospel of John. And Jesus says, uh, John, it'll be on the screen here. The Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. Why? For you do not believe the one he has sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is remarkable. Though they studied, the word did not dwell in them because they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't put their hope in the Messiah. The word by itself, apart from Christ, apart from the, the life-giving work of the Spirit, as we see elsewhere, cannot save. The word renews us as we believe. The word renews us as we set our eyes on Christ and invite the, His Spirit to come make us alive. The word draws near as well. The word renews us. This is how it's, it's, we don't worship paper and ink, but the one who has given his word. So I can give testimony of God showing his mercy in this way in my life again and again. The word renews us as we believe. So for example, in the face of conflict or criticism, I have a choice to make. Even good criticism, even criticism I deserve. There's an invitation from the Lord there, will I listen to the word of the accuser? And I'm not talking about the person speaking the criticism. I'm talking about the accuser of our souls. Will I listen to the word of the accuser or the voice of the one who is an anchor for my soul? The voice of the accuser will take criticism, even justly received, and spin it in my heart and my soul as a weight and as a condemnation for identity, as a condemnation for who I am on large scale. But the voice of God, through His Word, by the power of the Spirit, coming through the Word to renew, the voice of God says, you have been crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so there can be that verse in Galatians 2.20, dead on the page, but the Spirit makes it alive and renews us. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And upon that I stand and am renewed. 
The word renews us personally because it draws us to the one who loves us, to the one who knows us. And so, will we believe the word and come to Jesus for life? Will we believe the word, read the word, and come to Jesus for life? And I, I can testify, as you just heard, my, my heart is lightened, my soul is given rest. I am grounded in what God desires when I remember God's word and believe. There's a turn that happens. I'm no longer captive to the lie, but I am captive. I belong to the one who loves me. As the scripture says, I am yours. I belong to you. I am yours. And so how do we do this? How do we actively believe the word so that it draws us near to God? What does this faith look like in practice? There's a lot of different ways to answer that, but the second half of what I read in Lamed, uh, in, in the middle of Psalm 119, can help us here. And so let's look at verses 92 to 95. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. And precepts is a word about like the minutia of God's way that actually uh, helps form our decisions. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. I've sought your way. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider, I ponder, I think about your testimonies and not what the wicked think or what they are going to do. I think, I ponder upon your testimonies. How is this scribe, this lover of God's word, being renewed by the word? Do you see? By delighting in the word, by seeking out God's ways and following them, by considering and pondering what God says instead of what his enemies or her enemies were saying. And in the process there, there is life. There is preservation. There is perseverance amid trial. Do you see what's happening in the heart and soul of the one who is delighting and pondering and in seeking, there is life, perseverance. And this, this happens when we are malleable to allow God's renewing work rather than the power of sin to tear us down. We got, allow God's renewing work in our lives rather than giving a foothold to the power of sin to tear us down. And so as we close, let's apply this in different language. Just as we, as we tremble and trust Let's apply this together. What role does the word have in your life? How do you approach the word personally so that uh, God draws near? Because the word is closer than we can imagine. Let me suggest three practices. Learn, linger, and love. Learn, linger, and love. We have to learn God's word. We have to read it. We have to learn his ways we have to take seriously the call to understand and continue to understand. We have to seek to know its context, the time and the place and how it applies today. This is study, and study is a good thing. We learn God's word over time. You can't do it all in the next month. We learn over our lifetimes. We study, continue to study and learn his word. And then we linger also in the word. It's not only a, a, a book to be studied. We linger in God's word in reading and prayer. This is a discipline of meditation, allowing God to speak to us through his word, allowing the spirit to apply eternal truths to what is happening today in, 
and troubles or issues that you're walking through. We know that time in the Word is more than paper. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about relationship. So reading a verse, reading three verses, and just lingering there, sitting there for periods of time and letting God speak. We learn, we linger, and thirdly, we love. Yes, we love the Word. We're grateful for the Word, but we love the Word as it directs us ultimately to love the Lord. So we love and believe the Lord himself. And this is the practice of delight. I delight in you, God, because, and I delight in your word because it's who you are revealed to me. Our emotions may lag behind, but our actions show our love by our time and our worship and our obedience. We love God's word. And so God's word is bigger than we imagine. It's eternal. It establishes the the cosmos. It's the breath of life. It's the word of power. It's bigger than we comprehend. And yet also this word, this same word by the same God is closer and more personal through the life of God's spirit. And so let us be those who tremble and who trust and who linger and learn and love. Because through all of our interaction with the word, We can remember and relish for all time God's uh, unshakable message to us that I am still here. I am with you. I am mighty to save. So, Father, help us, Lord. Today, this week, as we live out our lives as your followers, help us to know your presence with us and help us to know that um, through your word. Lord, open up your word, illuminate your word for us that we would cherish not only it, but cherish you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for speaking, for continuing to speak through this word that, is, uh, that, that has been given um, in the centuries past. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us in it. We, we bless you. We honor you. Amen. Amen.